My guest today is somebody who stands for a very important demographic globally. The absolute domination of the Gen Z in either pushing a new trend or adopting a new technology platform is very, very understated. I think today's conversation elaborates so much on why this demographic is a significant part of your marketing channel. Being at an entrepreneurial high, Jake is just 21 years old and runs a massive creative team in US and actually the team's based out of two different countries. We speak a lot about work culture, what millennials expect from their workplaces and what a 21 year old entrepreneur does and think on a day-to-day -day basis. What is marketing to the Gen Z looking like? A lot of it captured through the conversation today. Well, joining me is Jake Brosel, founder and CEO of Trendsetters. All right, Jake, it's it's actually been quite a while. I've been chasing you for this conversation. It's uh, it's really exciting to have you on board. So thank you so much for doing this and welcome to Design Grid. Certainly. Thanks so much for having me on. Really thrilled to uh, dive into it. Awesome. So uh, you you've been you've been doing what you are for a for a while, right? I'm going to take a step back and kind of get to why exactly did you decide to pursue a career in in marketing? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question, and it's one of the things where I think uh, you, you know you have a lot of interesting individuals in marketing, and uh, a topic that a former podcast of mine from Amazon brought up was this idea of Renaissance marketers, where right. Uh, like a renaissance man would be, you, you have all these skill sets across kind of a wide array and, and you're able to deploy those within mark, the marketing realm. And I think that's kind of how the industry is evolving. But for myself, I was left less of a traditional kind of marketing, uh, kind of a savant or whatever, whatever you want to call it, connoisseur. Uh, but more so, I was, I was really interested in, in the business side of things. I was interested in, in how to build great businesses and brands and my kind of core hypothesis, I guess, um, and philosophy that I live by is that, you know, there's certainly a lot you can do from a business operational and setup perspective and certainly product influences a lot of it. But I see it as the most important part of any business on this planet is going to be the marketing. Because right. if you have marketing dialed in, even if your product's poor, well, then you go to market and then your marketing tells you the exact iterations you should make to that product. Same goes for the brand, same goes for the back end operations. Oh, so consumers, you know, our operations are bad on the back end. Consumers, it's taking two weeks. We need it to happen here in two days. Well, you know, that's an operational problem. Certainly they're saying there's some things we can do in the back end to fix that, or we could just increase the consumer demand for the time being so that people right. are okay either receiving that later or because the number of people that want it is so high that we can, you know, improve our delivery time, just as an example. So, you know, you know, to me, to this day, I'm certainly passionate about marketing, but I'm less passionate about marketing from the creative sense or because I love advertising and, and the core of social media and, and modern day kind of marketing, but more so because I think it's how you build businesses today. Right. So, uh, is is the gravitation towards say specifically talking to and for the gen z is that something that came that you got into because it came naturally to you or was it was it an identified uh, very specific target segment 
Yeah, well, well, I would say two, two, uh, two kind of answers there that kind of go hand in hand. One was the market demand for it. Uh, I, you know, when I concepted Trendsetters, what it initially existed at, as was just a name of a media brand for uh, some buddies of mine that we ran the Snapchat account, got a ton of followers on it before Snapchat was huge. Then small businesses started paying us for ad space on that. Then, I'm then I found myself uh, reporting to a, a Fortune 500 brand and, and the topic, hour long topic that I spent way too much time building was, uh, was actually supposed to be on Snapchat. Well, two minutes into it, I come to realize, wait a second, the, the questions they're asking me have nothing to do with Snapchat and this is not gonna be a conversation about Snapchat, they're just asking me about young people. And so I realized kind of the consumer kind of market demand right there and uh, it was at that moment that I wanted to pivot. I would say the other thing too is I'm a big believer in, uh, in, in, the, in, in Jim Collins' Good to Great and a lot of, other, uh, a lot of his other reads kind of the flywheel methodology, call it whatever you want. But I believe that you have to position yourself into something that you're passionate about that right. serves your purpose. And then the final one, can you be the best in the world at that? And the reality is, can I be the best in the world at social media or at marketing or at any of these larger things? Well, certainly not. And I can't even be the best in the world at talking about Gen Z because there's so many powerful Gen Z leaders today that, that, are, that are far more talented than me. But what I can do is put my skill set from a marketing and business building and brand building standpoint paired alongside Gen Z and kind of my natural advantage there. And that's what I can be the best at. So it was kind of the combination of market demand and then also this uh, kind of planning process of ultimately what can I be the best in the world at. So uh, when you when you talk about Gen Z, uh, you know, while you've got a host of social media channels and platforms, uh, Gen Z have usually been... Uh, very early adopters to most technology trends, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Does it at some point of time get overwhelming to try and keep track and try and be able to create content for brands across so many dynamic channels at one go? I think that's the biggest challenge for brands today. Uh, you know, I had a conversation with, with the CMO and what she asked me was, Jake, when is it going to stop? When are we going to stop adding platforms? Because you know, if you think about the history of advertising, go back to the 1950s when, when it was really kind of revolutionized and it became what it is today, you know, kind of your Mad Men era. Well, you're advertising then, you know, you have print, you have TV, you have radio, you have, you know, some other channels as well, but those are the main ones. Well, within those, we didn't have systems in place where we could be running dynamic ads across a wide array and spectrum and changing that based on localization and all those other kind of micro details that seem so elementary today. I mean, I mean, look, we can do, you, you, you can go out right now and spend $10, $10 a day on Facebook ads and do more specific targeting and, and creativity yeah. than, than what the greatest advertisers of all time, like a David Ogilvy and others, built these massive agencies on. So it's just incredible, but you think about that and, and the demand for it. So say we have a print, a radio, and a TV spot. Well, we might only run a couple iterations of the same kind of campaign every 90 days. So you know maybe we're delivering at max 12 creative pieces every quarter, or maybe 18, or likely closer to four to eight. So then you think about today. Well, there's brands that need to post four to eight times just on Instagram today. Now pair that with the fact that we have so, such a wide array of channels, each with their own audience base, each with their yeah. own context and conversation. 
its own style. And I think TikTok really is, is going to be the accelerator for this because TikTok is truly the first platform that you can't try to fit your old creative kind of processes. You need a new strategy every single time. Yeah. Exactly. Instagram, you can, you can throw the TV spot, clip yeah. it, throw it on there. Uh, same with Facebook, Twitter, you just do a copy version that's a little bit easier. But TikTok, I mean, we've even at a personal level working with Fortune 500 brands and, and watching them on TikTok, we tried to do their, their highly produced, like incredible content and it doesn't work yet. When I go out with the team and we film with iPhones, we got to replace our fancy cameras that I waste money on with then just, hey, pull out your iPhone and film from there. It, it, it explodes and it's just incredible to see that. Now, the reality is I don't see that stopping anytime soon because the future yeah. of social media, we saw this with Parler from a political perspective, which finally just got its servers kind of updated. That being said, it is with a Russian-based company. I don't think they're going to be back in the App Store or Google Play Store anytime soon. But regardless, Parler showed us uh, the, the, the micro and kind of fragmentation of social media that's going to continue to happen. And I right. see that long run as a good thing. It's certainly not okay when we have like a kind of an alt-right movement, like a parlor going crazy. But that being said, they're going to continue to blow up left and right because nowadays it, uh, creating a social media platform, the actual technology isn't incredibly difficult. You know, I've, yeah. I, I get in my LinkedIn DMs right now, there's probably nine different people I know that DM me and they're like, Hey, I'm starting this social media company. Here's what we're going to do. And that's going to continue to happen. So that fragmentation of social media is going to uh, continue to scale out and brands are going to have to figure out how they can update their creative process and marketing process yeah. to answer 48, 72 hour window, because that's the, the other thing that kind of ties into this that I think is the, the side effect almost, which is trends now move at lightning pace. And right. what was yesterday is not going to be the same in three, four, five days, whatever you want to call it. And so your ability to catch on to those trends and ride those, which we know brands love to do, and that's where they can really win big. If you don't have a 48-hour process from idea to turnaround to approval to pushing it out, you're not going to be able to catch that trend. So I think that's kind of the other difficulty that, that faces brands. And today. I feel sometimes, sometimes the mega trends don't even give you uh, – you know, 48 hours, you want to, you want to be able oh, to yeah. capitalize on them. It's just say overnight because conversations spiral out of control on uh, various platforms, even say Twitter or Instagram. Uh, is it, is it not an overwhelming process though to be constantly involved uh, at the helm of creating content because everything you create today is redundant tomorrow, right? You cannot reuse it. So is it, does it get overwhelming at times? Yeah. You know, I would say so. I think uh, the difficulty is how brands approach social media. And this is something that, that I don't talk about as much as I probably should in terms of external. It, this is more so a conversation I have with clientele because we, we almost need to get them to a certain level to then have this conversation. But right. what, what brands aren't thinking about on social media, they're, they're thinking, you know, I mentioned the speed factor. Well, you have to meet that speed factor. That's kind of step, step or we'll call it phase one because there's a lot of steps within that. But phase two of that is pushing the actual brand and pushing what I call branded content, which is more so acting as a, you know, there, there's a lot of phrases around this, but acting as a media company, call it whatever you want. It's that why are people tuning into us? Because if we're just jumping on the latest trend or spending the most ad dollars to promote yeah. the post, 
<clears throat> or we can create, you know, some viral content here and there. That's not something that's sticky and really going to convert potential customers into customers. But what is going to convert them is something that they can consistently check into, uh, check in on. And, and so something that, that I think will be interesting to see, you know, we mentioned the fragmentation of social media and that continue to take place. I wonder, and, and I, I, I'm kind of hedging on the fact that I think brands will continue on launching kind of their own platforms and their own systems. So, you know, within the McDonald's app, there should be a feature where, where they have some news or content going out on a daily basis that gives me a reason to check the platform outside of seeing if I have a deal for a McMuffin, right? So right. I think that's kind of the next iteration of social media. And I think that's how brands can push more branded content so as to avoid that redundancy. Yeah, I think for larger brands, that's, that's much easier to attain. Uh, for the smaller brands, though, the slightly younger brands, even the, even the ones that don't have their own technology platforms, they would massively rely on social media. Is, 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 there, a, is there a particular box or a definition that you have uh, that you use to say, this is how I define Gen Z? Because, because there's so much uh, that you can talk about, right? Yeah, yeah, certainly. I, you know, from an age perspective, right now, we define it as the ages between 12 and 25. Now, it's important to note that uh, Gen Z aside, that, that is such a wide array because that, right. that age 12, 20, 25, that 13-year difference, I would argue is the greatest 13-year difference in terms of an actual lifespan. Because if you think about any other kind of time period, okay, let's look at zero to 13, well, yeah, you kind of change, but you're just a kid, right? You're kind of the same a little bit. Well, then let's look at like 33 to 46. Yeah, of course you're going to change, but is that going to be as drastic as you're going to change between the age of 12 and 25? You just have so many milestone moments, you know, 12, oh, then you're 13, 14, you go to high school, okay? Now you graduate high school at 17, 18, you get your first, uh, or you get your driver's license at age 16, you know, you have your first beer at 19, 20, like illegally, right? Yeah. And then at 21, you know, you turn 21, you turn 22, you graduate, you're an adult now. It's like you're changing and who you are changes so much between that time frame. You know, but, but I would say that the number one characteristic that we can describe for all of Gen Z, and this is uh, the only reason we can describe this for all of Gen Z, is that they are paradoxical. They are, like, by nature, a living paradox. The best example of this would be, you know, platforms and trending, whether it's music or videos or styles or campaigns, whatever it is, but things will be trending like crazy and they hop onto it so quickly. Yet, this is also the most nostalgic brand we've ever seen. Yeah. And then you look at the entrepreneurial space, this is the most entrepreneurial generation yet, but they're also extremely cautious when it comes to their savings and their financial kind of savviness. So this exists in so many facets of Gen Z. And so the only universal advice I give to brands within the Gen Z category is to understand that they're paradoxical and, uh, and also understanding that when I say they're paradoxical, it doesn't mean that they are one or the other and each of those individuals is one or the other. It means that they're both. And that's an incredibly difficult kind of concept to grasp. Okay, wait, how can you be super entrepreneurial but also incredibly reliant on savings and like super cautious? You know, that, that doesn't necessarily make sense. But, uh, you know, another great example of this would be they're, they're incredibly altruistic. We know this. They care for the world. They want to change the world in, in all these different ways. But at the same time, they're the most self-motivated generation that we've seen of kind of a recent history. Uh, they're trying to earn money at a younger age. They're trying to propel their career. Yet at the same time, they want to, they want to go save the world and, and, and hop onto every bigger movement that exists at a global level. So 
it's understanding that they are paradoxical, meaning that they're both not just one or the other. And, and once you understand that, then when, once you get data and insights reports and do some research, you start to realize and understand that, that you're not just going to trip yourself up over some of those insights because, wait, this contradicts this. Well, yes, that's the point. <laughs> so, so, so data patterns aren't essentially going to be established because, because it's more intuitive. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say you know, that definitively, and, and I'm probably not the person to give the best answer in that arena, but, but I would say, yeah, I think uh, you know, a lot of it is intuition. The other thing, too, is that we're advising our, 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 a lot of our brand partners that we're pushing out into to the content realm is uh, this idea that you know, the Gen Z and, and I guess generations of the past, there are defining moments that take place. And for millennials, it was 9-11 and some other events that, okay, this, this is kind of what shaped them and here's why, uh, sure. you know, 9-11 tech bubble really fraught the economy. Uh, then you have the 08, 09 financial crisis. Well, that was happening when Gen Z was either just, you know, just, uh, just being born or a little bit older, but it's something where consciously we didn't see, but it exists in our subconscious. And, and I even know from personal, personal experience, because I never knew that my parents had less money in 08, 09, but my dad being a financial advisor and then my mom being a, a she was a mortgage realtor at the time. Those are like the two of the worst careers yeah. I had within a financial yeah. crisis uh, right. of the housing market. So I noticed, I was like, wait a sec, I'm thinking back. Did we go on vacation that year? No, we didn't. What did I get for Christmas? Oh, that's interesting. Wait, what did we do? Like, what was I eating for lunch? Like, just, it's interesting. And that bakes into your subconscious. And that's why we've seen them be so financially savvy. Well, I see it as everything that's taken place in 2020. This will certainly have a much larger impact on the entire world and every generation for that matter, because it's sure. truly kind of unique to us outside of yeah. the, the generation and those that are 100 something years old right now. Uh, but that being said, it's going to have a greater percentage kind of impact on Gen Z because these are young minds. They're far more mendable and this will be the, the transformation point. And so everything we've seen from Gen Z prior, while certainly some things may hold and certainly some trends happening during kind of COVID will continue to, to stay in place. The reality is who we see uh, post COVID world from Gen Z might be a totally different individual. So you know, something we're advising all of our clients is, is that everything that happened before 2020, put an asterisk by it, every data report, every insight, every one that took place even inside of 2020, because the reality is we just don't know what those changes are going to look like. And, and, and you're right there, you know, because, uh, because now the preparedness for something so drastic uh, is going to settle in. So uh, people won't be taken by surprise because they'll be like, hey, that, that happened back in 2020 something similar is happening. It may not be a pandemic. It may be a global crisis of some sort. And uh, the preparedness in the mind uh, sort of starts to come in and you know the kind of lifestyle that you can go back to or get into uh, in some way. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Is there, is there an interesting project or a, or a brand where you can walk us through in terms of how branding for them massively differs when, it, when they talk to millennials versus when they talk to Gen Z? Or when they talk to any other age group versus a Gen Z, rather. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's something in particularly with with some of the larger brands we work with. You know, in our in our portfolio of clients that, that we worked with just in the last year includes McDonald's, North Face, L'Oreal, United Healthcare, um, Denny's, some of these larger brands. And 
you know, even, even the startup and challenger brands that we, that we work with as well, the question is always exactly that. Well, how is this going to affect how we reach other generations? Is this going to be mutually exclusive just to Gen Z? And we, we, you know, it's important to note that everything we do from a marketing perspective, while certainly it's tailored to Gen Z, it's not meant to ostracize any other generation. For sure, yeah. sure case, it has to be baked into it. However, what we see is when we truly tailor efforts towards a particular demographic and generation, and for us, when we, go, when we go out with a client and look to reach Gen Z, we're not just looking at every 12 to 25-year-old on the planet. We're looking at very specific kind of micro-diverse communities. So within that, we'll, we'll look to go after it. But the reality is you can grow your brand at, at a far easier and faster rate with younger Gen Z demographics than you can with other older kind of demographics that I don't want to say are set in their ways, but they've likely already been pre-exposed to the brand. They already might have a relationship with the brand, whether good or bad. Um, they're a little bit older, so they're less likely to kind of change and shift their mentality and characteristics and become a lifetime buyer. And so that's why I, I always push brands towards working with Gen Z um, is because of the potential upside. Uh, and then you factor in the fact that by 2030, their actual net worth will surpass that uh, of millennials, at least here in the United States. And so you realize that it's also incredibly interesting financial decision. I would say the final thing to this is the impact, which is by aligning with a, a Generation Z demographic that is incredibly altruistic, it will actually unlock so much for your brand and for your business that you haven't yet discovered. You know, right. the, the reason why companies, especially larger companies, don't go out and just fix a lot of the world's problems is because they have to answer to 90 day financial goals. You know, Coca-Cola yeah. tomorrow can't just get rid of all plastic products. What would that do to their supply chain and operations and their, their earnings report, right? It would, it would be brutal. Well, when we look at understanding and reaching Gen Z, we can create those win-win solutions where it makes sense for a company, whether it's in sustainability or any kind of global movement that's improving the quality of life for individuals and in particular consumers, that's when we can create those win-win solutions where, hey, we're going to better reach Gen Z with this. So that's going to increase kind of our sales in this arena and our, our, our brand efficacy. And in doing so, we also become kind of a better company. And so that's kind of a win-win uh, capitalist approach towards creating a better future. And, and is, there, is there a recent trend that brands have been actively talking about uh, uh, emotions and loneliness and, you know, trends that have essentially been hitting uh, the younger generations much harder. Uh, is there a trend that you see conversations going in positive directions around that? Yeah, I think one of the most positive conversations that we've started to have within the last year is the conversation around mental health uh, from an awareness and supportive perspective. And I think brands are doing an incredible job of understanding their role right. um, in mental health. I think the next iteration of that is understanding how physical health and what we consume in terms of the, the, the CPG and the food and the drink and beverage category, how that ultimately affects our mental health. Because there's, there's so many studies that link, you know, what, what we're actually eating and putting into our body and how that affects inflammation in the brain, a lot of other details. You know, the science isn't totally clear, or I think the science probably is clear, but the science isn't yet fully known by everyone. Um, so I think that's the next iteration, but 
that's a conversation where you know 75% of Gen Z will uh, suffer a symptom of a mental illness before the time they are 25 years old, uh, which, which is an incredibly high number. And this is a this is what what I say is a true mental health crisis and something we all need to kind of fix together. And um, you know, I see brands continuing to step up in that category. There's certainly a lot more work to do, but that's something that that certainly has me excited is the conversations around mental health. Right. Is is that something that uh... Uh, that is actively discussed with brands to be able to create content and campaigns. And uh, is there a chance that something like this could backfire easily because it's a highly reactive age group? Yeah. So that, that's always the concern when uh, looking at lots of campaigns, looking at Gen Z, because if your messaging, if your tone of voice, if your style, if how you kind of spread that creativity and emotion and what you're trying to capture in the story you're telling if any of that is a little bit off, you run the risk of getting into what we call cancel culture, uh, which, which from my perspective, as a Gen Z individual, very connected with culture, I despise cancel culture. I think it's incredibly, diff- like, incredibly bad uh, for, for a lot of reasons, but um, you know, I can save that conversation for another time. But you know, that, that is kind of the scare, I would say, in, in going after this demographic. But the reality is from a brand perspective, if you come from a place of authenticity um, and not this kind of fake authenticity that everyone talks about nowadays, but can we actually support this movement? Um, I think a lot of the civil rights movement, Black Lives Matter movements that have been happening in the United States, we've seen brands kind of jump onto that. Yeah. And something we have a lot of our brand partners was don't just talk about it, create actual action towards it. Because if you're not providing any sort of action, Gen Z is going to see through that and understand that you're leveraging this uh, just ultimately drive sales. Um, sure. You know, and, and I could I could roast plenty of brands right now that that have done just an, an awful job of doing that and, and got right. canceled. Uh, but but and I think it's visible. It it rises to the surface because people start uh, identifying how authentic you are in your conversation versus how branded you just want to be and how much you want to push your product and services out. You're right on that actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where you just have to be incredibly careful. Um, you know, I think the other difficulty is you can't necessarily be silent. Um, and I would never advise a brand to be silent because I think it's always that's better. A, that's, that's a tough spot to be in, right? I mean, you've got to be yeah. able to create the right kind of content as well as not be silent. It, it's a tricky position to be in. It, it is. And I think it's one of the more difficult brands uh, positions today, which I think, you know, overall brands just keep getting put into incredibly difficult uh, positions because even decades ago, we would never have an expectation of a brand to weigh in on a political movement or, or anything with any sort of political charge. We, we know that they would step away, but the brands that have done a good job of it have repped the benefits uh, accordingly. I think everything that Ben and Jerry's has done, uh, which they've certainly gone very, I would say, uh, in the US, like politically left, where they're, they're literally supporting like defund the police, which you know, a little bit out there and certainly for an ice cream brand, but they've shown their true colors and that's in their DNA. And that's, that's what their, their kind of core executive team believes in. And I think that if that's what you stand for, you know, go for it. And it's a, it's a lot better for you to authentically look to kind of just be yourself and share your own kind of insight. Because from my perspective, who, who I would be uh, far more centrist and I'm like, Hey, we probably shouldn't defund the police. I don't think that's a good idea. That's just my particular opinion and view on it. Well, my perspective, 
I don't have a gripe against Ben and Jerry's now because I'm very supportive of, Hey, if that's what you're for, by all means. And so yeah. I think that's, uh, that's an example of how brands can do it. And when you do it well, so, you know, wherever that is on the political spectrum, I think just sharing who you actually are and showing that is incredibly vital. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to just, get out of the Gen Z discussion and get into the more entrepreneurial side of what you do. I think that's, uh, that's equally interesting. So uh, one thing that I, that I love kind of asking people uh, who are running entrepreneurial ventures is uh, how do you identify and set the right kind of culture within the team? And, and is there one that you identify with? Yeah. So, you know, I wouldn't say um, there's a particular culture that identify that, that, I, you know, I try to identify with, I really love the, the team being able to create the culture for themselves rather than happening from the top down. Uh, so, so my kind of personal leadership style, while certainly I'm involved and I kind of know the majority of what's going on, I I'm very anti specific deadlines and specific task orientation. And I would much rather, uh, and you know, I think Matt Kerbel said this to me on, on, on a podcast episode, uh, but he mentioned delegating responsibilities and, and outcomes rather than tasks. Uh, because when, when, when you share with individuals, hey, this is where we want to get to, rather than here's what you need to do and this is what it's right. going to create, um, I see that. Th- then they got to build the steps for themselves. So, so you know, my, my mission as a leader and ultimately cultivating our culture is exactly that, letting the team create the culture for themselves. Um, and because, you know, and, and I think it's one of those things where we do benefit from being a Gen Z agency, everyone that works yeah. with us is age of like 18 and like 27. So, uh, I guess we do have some fringe millennials, but the culture kind of creates itself based on that. Uh, but, but, you know, if I were to define our culture in a sentence, I would say it's, it's very much, uh, work hard, play hard. It's, we want to have a, we want to have fun and we want to enjoy what we're doing and we should, but we also want to work our asses off because what I always explain to the team is that it is just as hard being good and being average as it is being great. So why the hell not just go be great? Right. And how, how big is the team right now? Yeah. So currently we have a team of 25, um, I believe, and we're continuing to hire as well. So, uh, you know, that number will continue growing, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting number because, we're no longer just a team of 10 where everyone's talking to everyone at all times. Now there's, there's, there's team members that I don't talk to for weeks. Right. Um, but you know, we're also not at the level of 100 people where we have managers and SVPs to be able to right. kind of delegate coordinate within their, you know, operations. So we're kind of in this middle spot, which, which certainly makes things difficult, but, but um, you know, it, it, it's just such a joy. Do you aspire uh, to become a hundred member team at some point of time? Yeah, I would say so. You know, I don't like setting goals around revenue or yeah. uh, headcount, but I will say um, I, I think something that, that really inspires me so much is seeing the individual progress from a life perspective, not just career, not just like your skill set, but from a life perspective of those that start working with us and seeing the progress they make within right. three, 12 months. So because of that, I, I really want to continue to push to continue hiring, bring people in, get them a part of our culture, because I truly think it's transformational. Right. And, and I want to specifically touch upon one thing, which is 
which is how do you create content for yourself because you're pretty much over the place right uh, across platforms and 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 is there is there some sort of a hack or is there some sort of a mindset that you have that you use to be able to create content for yourself yeah you know i wish there was a more specific hack um and process to do so but i can tell you as someone who's experimented with every potential process on the planet there's no perfect process for yeah. creating content and certainly not publishing that content. It's, it's always difficult. It's going to take time, but, but ultimately it's worth it. I would say, you know, what, what, what we've done and what my philosophy has done well is never saying no for the end consumer. I, you know, the majority of the content that we push out, I do not deny or like, at every piece of content that we create, I approve because I don't care. And even if it's got a typo, even if it's got a little mess up here, even if it's off brand or even if it's too long, I, I just, I prefer to push it out and, and let it, let it rip and see what happens rather than kind of deny things prior. So I would say that's where we've benefited the most is, is not uh, adhering to very rigid brand standards and more so just letting it fly. Because I think, if, if you want to follow brand standards today, you're not going to get the actual benefit from the modern kind of marketing world. The only way you can do it is by uh, incredible speed and just pushing out and, and being real with kind of who you are. And I would say the other thing too that I add to that is the trendsetters brand as it exists. Also, certainly we go through approval processes, but very limited brand standards. And what we say is this is a collective of our, of our entire team. So if you think it's a good idea, we're good to go with it. And, yeah. and that's all needed. So yeah. that's kind of our approach that I think more brands uh, need to take. And is, is that something that also translates into, uh, into the brands that you work with? Because, because the age group that you're working with, again, uh, thrives in some way on volume, on consistency, on, on you know, content being consumed very, very rapidly. Is that a method that you also push out with them? Yes, definitely. You know, it's, um, I think it shows our capabilities from a brand perspective. Now, certainly we, 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 we put a lot more effort into client campaigns with actual budgets than we do in yeah. our own. Um, hoping to one day just have our own team just doing our stuff. But, uh, right now it's kind of by committee. Um, but, but yeah, no, it's exactly that. I mean, this is how we generate business. It's how we get the word out about our brand. Um, and it's something that too, we can test a lot with with my personal brand with our trendsetters brands we can test outside of a client campaign so we get to kind of discover these new insights and ideas interesting so uh we're, we're sort of jumping into a segment which uh, which i call beyond the grid uh we're just a couple of questions getting to know jake as an individual uh your preferences and choices right so if there was uh if there were three people you could invite for a dinner table conversation and and let it be a blank canvas uh who would those three people be and and why um can they be dead as well or just or just alive people just alive people because <laughs> they've okay. got to make it to your dinner okay that changed my answer a little bit um you know, I would say one that I have to throw in there would be Elon Musk. Uh, the second would probably be Gary Vee. Um, I think that conversation alone would, would be more than plenty. I don't even know if we need a third. Um, but I yeah, think that's okay. Third, okay, yeah, we'll just roll with two then. <laughs> yeah, really. and, and why do you want to have both of them uh, on a dinner table conversation? I mean, I'm, I'm sure like the reasons yeah. are pretty obvious, but what, what's your perspective around it? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Elon in particular, I'm fascinated with what his internal engine might be. I, I still don't think that's something that's been exposed because he doesn't talk about himself much. Um, I've read every biography and autobiography, um, or I guess every book on him. I don't think he's written anything himself. Um, and I've yet to find what is that internal engine inside of him that is driving the desire for this because I've never seen someone so passionate about the future of humanity. Um, it's just interesting how that works, you know, like did a, an alien or an angel or whatever he believes in, right? Like, did they come down and tell him something that we don't know? And, and I, I legitimately wonder that because I wonder how do you go, you know, how do you get a $500 million check from PayPal uh, and, and the, the IPO there, or, or I guess the exit for him, and then throw all of it and then have to borrow money into these companies for the future, like instead of just going and buying an entire island for yourself and living there for the rest of your life. It's just, it's interesting to see the internal engine. Um, and then for, for, for Gary Vee, I'd love to ask about the, more the content, the marketing strategies, because I think that, I think he is just nine steps ahead of the entire marketing world. Um, and it's always kind of just, in, it, it's just incredible to see how he stays ahead all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. So uh, is there, is there something in particular uh, that changed uh, about you in the past year that you realized was, uh, was missing? How did 2020 in, in, in some positive ways uh, shape you personally? Yeah, I would say it, it shaped me most um, from getting out of this need to work 24 seven and seeing work less of, you know, I think when we were starting out, you're, you, you're, you know, your, your back is against the wall and you yeah. just have to put in the hours and you got to do what you got to do. Well, once you grow and you have a team, my job becomes, well, okay, I need to have a good attitude today. So I can't be sleeping just three or four hours a night. Right. Um, I need to spend a lot less time doing the work and more of the time delegating and helping others do the work because that is now the better use of my time. So I would say my, my, like my approach to time management has changed incredibly. I mean, I wake up later now than I have ever before. I'll, I'll get up anywhere from as early as four, but sometimes I'll, I'll get up at six, right? Whereas I used to be 4am every single day after pretty much not sleeping and then going straight to work. Well, now I go through kind of a morning routine and it's a little bit more casual. And now some days in the afternoon, rather than force myself to work through it, if I go through a block where I'm just not focused, I'll go take an hour and a half to go to the gym or go do something else or change my environment. Whereas before I would just always kind of work through that. So I would say my time management and how I see productivity and efficiency has, has totally changed. Right. And is that something that also runs through the team to the rest of the people in the, in the team in some ways? Yeah, I would certainly say so. You know, we, uh, we don't believe in set work hours or anything of that nature. So, so we like that flexibility because I think um, when you can work in your focus or flow states or whatever you want to right. call it, that's ideal. And, and you know, the, the, the reality is we, we have a global team. So we also have individuals in the Philippines. So we're online uh, as a company 24 seven because we have to be with the current kind of marketing methodology. So even if you're here in the U S you know, 
you might have your best creative block from nine to 11 PM. And if that's what you want to do by all means. Right. So right. yeah, I would say it's something that certainly spilled over a little bit. Interesting. So uh, it's actually fun to dive into how uh, entrepreneurial ventures get shaped uh, across uh, different age groups and uh, the kind of dynamism that there is uh, in the way you talk about uh, the business, the team, your brands. Uh, it's, it's phenomenal. I think this is, yeah. uh, it's been interesting. Thank you so much for being on, uh, on this show. Uh, there's so much that uh, people could take out of uh, the conversation we've had. And yeah. uh, Gen Z in particular, I feel, is not a homogeneous segment. Uh, there are so many subcultures and sub-interest levels that are associated with it. So my intent is that uh, if there is even a little more understanding that people get, about this age group uh, through this conversation, it's obviously helpful. Yes, certainly. I think how we understand the future generations and how we nurture that is a greater determinant of our future than anything else. And so, you know, our future is always in the hands of whatever generation is next up and that happens to be Gen Z. And I'm thrilled to do my best to carry that torch. Awesome. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. (laughs) 